Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit will be with us today. And we ask that every time, but this is really a message about the work that the Spirit does and things that come to be a part of our lives. And help us today, Lord, uh, that we will recognize this word. You will light a fire in our hearts. We will understand that we matter and we make a difference in this place at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So quick review. We've been doing a series since the beginning of this year called Determinations. kind of another word for resolutions. And we started in the book of Jonah. I read you uh, the story of Jonah. He gets on the boat. The, the storm comes up. The ship is tossed. And he says, yeah, it's my fault. I'm running away from the purpose God called me to. Which is a little heavy if you think about that in the context of what we're about to talk about here. But Jonah is running away from the purpose that God called him to. And it's, it has put the entire rest of the group that he's with in danger because he's not contributing his part. He's not doing the thing he's supposed to be doing. And you have this whole story and Jonah says, there's only one answer to this. You're going to have to throw me in. But they don't want to do that. They know that you throw somebody overboard in a storm in the middle of the, middle of the sea, they're going to die. So they don't want to do it. But finally they concede. We don't have any other choice. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 14, Therefore they, that's the, the mariners, the crew on the ship, they called out to Yahweh, this is to the God of heaven, because remember, this is all happening in a polytheistic time. We've already heard about how they called out to all the other gods they knew the names of. But Jonah says, no, I serve Yahweh, the God of heaven. So therefore they called out to the God of heaven, to Yahweh, and said, Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now we use this kind of as a jumping off point because, because it is an appropriate response when one experiences the workings and the power of God it is an appropriate response to make sacrifices and vows. And maybe sometimes one of the reasons we are slow to do those things is we lose sight of how great God is. We're not on a boat in the middle of a storm that suddenly the sea calms. Okay, yeah, that might really get our attention. And sometimes we lose sight of the surpassing glory of God. We begin to diminish him to be more and more like ourselves. But when we make determinations and vows to God, it is a reflection of our awareness of his greatness. And what am I talking about when I'm saying determinations? Well, here's the working definition we've been using. It is deciding what you will do and then making sure you do it. It's one thing to decide, yeah, I really ought to do that. It's another thing to actually take steps to do it. We've determined a few things so far. We've determined 
that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to take steps to make sure it actually happens. What is getting in the way? What do I need to take out of the way? What is blocking my love for the Lord? We determined to have no other gods before him. That's, that's addressing the blocks. We determined that we want to live love. It's another way of saying love your neighbor as yourself. And then last Sabbath, we talked about some of the practical implications of that, particularly as it relates to our life as a community and our, and our budget and, and how a budget is a promise we make to each other. A promise that we won't spend more than this, but also a promise that we will give this. And we determine to love each other in word and in deed and in generosity. In other words, the word we speak will be true. The things we do will be appropriate. And the way we maintain things will be with a generous spirit. We keyed on Romans chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So today we're going we're gonna to take a specific focus on this idea of loving one another, of living love. And today's specific focus is this, that we would determine to do our part. Determine to do your part. Now we're going to spend most of our time in a single passage today. And it's one of those interesting places in Scripture. So if you want to grab one of those Bibles that's in front of you, I'm going to be using that translation. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend almost all of our time today. And this is one of those rare places in the Bible where it actually spells something out in detail, kind of from beginning to end. You know, we've talked about other places where I wish maybe there'd been a little more detail. So the one that always drives me crazy is the story of the, the men on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up and he talks to them, and it says, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets said, and then where I wish there was a long discourse, all you get is, and he opened their minds to the scriptures regarding the things it said about him. And that's all we get. And I wish there was the list of every text and everything I should know from the Old Testament about Jesus. But I think the reason it's not there is so that I'll go and look for myself. But in this particular case, we have a detailed explanation of a very important element of the reality of the life of the church in Paul's day, but not just there, the way the church is supposed to work from that time going forward. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? He starts right off by saying, this is an important reality. Now, there are elements to this reality that are obvious, but 
But yet at the same time, it's easy to fall into traps here and be uninformed of exactly what God's purpose and order for his church is. So about this, I don't want you to be uninformed. Then he takes an interesting aside that kind of goes back into the context of polytheism. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's kind of an interesting little inclusion there that kind of seems out of place for how we would approach this discussion, but clearly must have been related to the experience taking place in the Corinthian church. And what I wonder here is in this context, if within the church people were accusing other people within the community by saying things like, well, what you're saying is not of God. What you're doing is not of God. That somehow they were, they were exalting their own gifts and looking down on others. And it seems to me that perhaps what Paul is addressing here is he's saying, um, no, if these people are doing these things in the name of the Lord, we need to give them the benefit of the doubt that in fact this is God calling them to a righteous action. Now that's unsettling a little bit because there was some kind of crazy stuff going on in the Corinthian church that I think would uh, startle us if we were to be there in that time. But so Paul is setting the context here, and he's saying there's different things, and we start right in with that in verse 4. Now notice, he's going to say the same thing basically three times with different language. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So, so different gifts and abilities, different kinds of service, different kinds of activity, but all of those things are from the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God who empowers them all. It's kind of a Trinitarian structure. If you see it there, it's a reference to the Spirit, a reference to the Lord, which is generally ascribed to Jesus here, and then God who empowers them all. So there's gifts, there's service, there's activities. He's trying to make sure he's including the whole of this very large subject of how the church is to function and work together and get along. Now verse 7, I believe, is the absolute key to understanding this. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now then, let me just spend a second on that so that you understand. To each. Who does that mean? Does that mean everyone? It's everyone. To everyone who is born again in Jesus Christ, you receive from God a purpose within the community of God. There's no such thing as a useless member of the community of God. Because everyone has received from God himself a specific ability or blessing or task 
or gift, however you want to say it. But here's the thing. It's not for you. Now, it is given to you, but it's not for you. You see, you are to take the gift and use it for what? The common good. So, so this is very important. The way the love of God is poured out primarily within the community of faith is by God making each member capable of a critical action to the life of the church, and then that member taking this, this gift and ability that has come to them by the love of God and then using it in the community. I'll give you the perfect example. Just a little bit ago, there was a whole band up here. Now, what does it take to be a part of the band? Well, for one thing, it takes a basic level of talent when it comes to music. Number two, it takes several years, if not tens and twenties of years, of practice to get to where you can do it. And then it takes a willingness to get up crazy early on a Sabbath morning while you're still warm or you're at your table having your, your nice hot chocolate and donuts or whatever you have on Sabbath morning. To get up crazy early, especially if you live in Estes Park, like some people do, and drive your car down here regardless of the weather, it was nice today, and show up here, and because I got here a little bit late, not be able to get in because the door was locked, sorry about that, glad Brigida got here and solved that problem, and come up here and practice and get ready and then play and what happens? The community is blessed. You see how that works? The Spirit is poured out upon them. They use the gift they have, and it's for the common good. The community is blessed. It's the same for every piece of it. When you're telling the, the kid's life story, the community is blessed. You don't have to sing to do that, even if you can. You don't have to. When you give your tithes and offerings, these are blessings that God gives to you, and then you return them, and you give them with a sacrificial spirit, and guess what? The community is blessed. When you go to Costco on a Friday, which is a crazy time to go to Costco. Everyone knows that. And you get great big muffins that you have to cut into fourths and all kinds of other things wonderful fruit and you bring them to the church and then someone gets them and sets them on the table and makes everything so that when you walk in the door because someone gave to budget there was money to buy this and you walk in the door and you start your experience at church with a beautiful spread of blessings See, this is a person using their gifts for the common good. When you help set up chairs, you're using your gifts for the common good. You see, there's all these different things, all these different workings. Each one of us is given abilities, 
and we are to use them for the common good. And when every one of us does that, the blessing of God is upon the whole of the community, and we all experience joy and fellowship together. That's how it works. But guess what happens if you withhold what God has given you? You are literally withholding the love and the Spirit of God from the community that he's trying to pour out. Because the way the Spirit gets poured out, it comes into us and out to each other. So if it's just coming into you and not coming out, you're withholding part of the blessing that God has in mind. So don't do that. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. There's an interesting tie-in there to where we started in the story of Jonah when the, the mariners on the ship look up to heaven and said, you have done as you see fit. See, the Lord does as he sees fit. And he knows each one of us, and he knows which gifts belong with each one of us. And therefore, he has given us those things according to his will and according to his spirit. And if we would just trust him and use the gifts we have, we would find greater satisfaction in that than in longing after a different one or looking at someone else or thinking ours is not important. We'll say more on that in a second. But this list here is a remarkable list. He gives wisdom to the church. And he also gives knowledge to the church. It's that, there's actually an interesting distinction there. To, to have knowledge is, is often to know facts and realities and how some of them fit together. But to have wisdom is to know when and how those things should be used. And very often it's not in the same person. This is why the church is best when, when there is a good broad representation within the within the process and participation of the group. So, so there's, you can come to a, a vision board with a ton of knowledge, but if you don't have any wisdom, it's not going to do any good. So you've got to have the people there that are wise, even if they don't necessarily have all the knowledge. Faith. What is a faith community without people with faith? Well, it's a joke. That's what it is. It's a club. It's dark. But by faith, the lights come back on. All right. Well, all right, that was interesting. Let's keep going. So there's faith. There's gifts of healing. This is an interesting one for it is us, isn't it? And, and it's actually interesting in the context, the long context of this community. This community started in the context of, of people who were invested in healing ministries. Because right behind us was a sanitarium. 
You know, there's that, uh, I don't know if you've been downstairs and walked down the hall downstairs, but there's that, that stone in the wall that says this community was established in 1879. Do you know the city of Boulder was, wasn't incorporated until 1871? This church goes back to the very earliest days of the existence of this town. And it was centered in the idea of healing and gifts of healing. And ways of bringing healing to people's lives. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's actually an interesting point, isn't it? Because don't we tend to want to cram all the gifts into one or two people and then think, well, I guess we don't have those because those highly visible people don't seem to have those gifts. There's no reason to expect that because I get up here on Sabbath morning, I should have the gift of healing. That's not how the Spirit works. I seem to have more the gift of talking. The gift of knowledge. I don't always have wisdom. I mourn for that. I suffer as a result. I don't always have the gift of distinguishing between spirits. That's why the Lord sends people into my life that say, are you sure that's a good idea? Are you sure you're listening to the right voices right now? You see, everybody has these different things. Various kinds of tongues. Interpretation of tongues. We don't even want to touch that one. Not sure what was even going on there. But yet God has given these gifts as he wills. He goes on, for just as the body, verse 12, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. One of the most challenging things that happened in the early church, because the Christian church grew out of Judaism, one of the most challenging things for them to come to terms with was that everybody is welcome in the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad we don't have trouble with that anymore? Oh, wait. Maybe we do. Everyone is welcome in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter Jew or Greek, slave or free. Can you imagine that particular challenge? That in that society, there still was a lot of this slavery going on and, and people who were slaves and people who were not we're, we're being converted to belief in Jesus and gathering together. I wonder how hard it was to not have all of one group sit over here and all of another group sit over there. Yeah, we're not the first generation to wrestle with, with deep core society-based divisions. Yet when we come into this space, we're supposed to be one. 
because who knows who God is going to pour out his spirit on in one way or another. And if we've decided beforehand who has a right to speak and who does not, I think we're in risk of missing what the spirit may have for us. If we've decided beforehand who's allowed to lead and who's not, we run a real risk here, don't we? We've got to be better than that. Now, it, we can't pretend we don't live in the world because we do, but what we have to do when we come in here is fight to rise above that. We've got to be better than that. Because God has apportioned his spirit as he willed. Out of the many, we are to be one. Out of the different, we are to find unity. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. I want you to own that. As he chose. God has gifted you intentionally. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see, one of the great dangers in the church is the trope of the ideal believer. And every, every church has its own version. So, so there was kind of the, the, the version of the medieval ideal believer was probably a monk or a nun or something like that. And everybody thought, oh, that's what we should be if we were good enough. And all along the line, as different groups come along, they have their different things that, that they idealize. And, and I think we have this thing within, within our construct as an Adventist community where we're very centered in doctrine and in prophecy and, and in knowing the right answers. And people in the community will sometimes say, well, I could never give a Bible study. I don't understand all that stuff. Well, maybe that's not what God wants you to teach. Maybe what he wants you to teach is what you do understand, which is the love of God through Jesus Christ. That wouldn't be a horrible thing to share, would it? No, even if you didn't understand the math behind the 2,300 days, you still might be able to do that, right? You see, there's no ideal Christian, except maybe Jesus, I guess we could say that. There's no ideal version. In fact, I think sometimes God takes the weakest ones and throws us up front. Because then we have something to help us be careful. Because then we have to at least be spiritual once a week. There's no super Christian. 
We're all who God has made us to be. And every one of us needs to take what he's given us and improve on it because the gift is for the common good. And the community will not be as strong as it can be until everyone is contributing their part. Jesus has put all of us here. And we each have a chance to make a difference. But each of us in our own special way. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Within the body of Christ, there is equal valuation. Everyone's of equal value. Yet there is at the same time recognition and accommodation from each to each. Each of us has different needs within the community. Just like the parts of the body have different needs. So, so my nose does not complain, generally, every now and then it does a little bit, that my eyes are too weak to see on their own. So my nose makes the accommodation to hold up glasses because my nose knows that if my eyes aren't seeing, they will be the first thing to contact the wall. See how the body works? This is how we are to be. We are to equally value one another and yet realize this person has this strength but this weakness. This person has this strength but this weakness. This person has this strength but this weakness. Let's accommodate the weakness. Let's maximize the strength. We don't look down on each other for weakness. We help one another. Continuing on, last part of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is really hard. This level of shared experience is really hard as a community gets larger and larger. To some degree, we can still do it, with the number of people that we have gathered here. We can have some sense of involvement in each other's lives, some sense of participation in each other's lives, but we have to be deliberate. It's too big a group to be completely personal. And this is why it's, it's so important to our health within a larger community like this that there are sub-communities within this group. There's a couple of examples that happen on a regular basis. Uh, and that's, that's our classes that meet in the different rooms after the worship service. There is more of an opportunity in that context for sharing at a deeper heart level, for engaging at a deeper relational level. And that's why it's important to participate in those things. But it's also important to have times outside of just this church time where we gather together with our brothers and sisters of the faith to encourage each other and pray. But it's hard for a community like this when some of us live in Estes Park 
and some of us live in Denver. It's hard, but it is worth it. And you've got to find those opportunities where you can to gather together, to rejoice together, to share life together, to understand that when one suffers, we all suffer. When one is exalted, we all are exalted. This is essential to living love. Now verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Just sit with that for a second. Now you, and by you, this is plural you. English doesn't have a plural form for that word at this point anyway. You all, we could say that if you're from the South, are the body of Christ. And every one of you is a piece of it. Kind of an intimidating notion, isn't it? When you think about, if we're the body of Christ, how are we representing him? What are people's perception of Christ if we are the body of Christ? Well, I'll tell you this much. It's, it's a uh, somewhat dysfunctional body of Christ if we're not all participating. Maybe our eyes are good, but if our hands aren't doing anything, well, okay, we're seeing lots of stuff, but we aren't doing anything about it. Or, or maybe our hands work great, but our feet aren't going anywhere. So the only place we do anything at all would be in this room, right? Because we don't go, our feet don't work. We need every piece of it working. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. You know, I, I read these passages and sometimes I wonder, to what degree are these things still appointed? Well, we certainly don't have apostles in this day like in the days of Paul and, and the, the Twelve. That was another level to their leadership that had to do with their direct encounter with Jesus when he was literally here. This is why Paul refers to himself as an apostle abnormally born because he wasn't walking around with Jesus. He had a different experience. But there was this apostolic ministry at that time and I suppose it's approximated in some ways today but mostly if you hear that term anymore it's kind of in a weird spirituality context of someone who's kind of taking what in my opinion seems to be unfair advantage of a community of people well you must do it because I'm apostolic I don't know it runs against my sensibilities prophets well, we have a tendency to skew the idea of prophecy into the direction of predictive prophecy. But I tell you what, I think this one is still active in its own way in our time. Have you ever been engaged with someone in a conversation and they say something and all of a sudden it's as though the Lord took a highlighter and, 
and rubbed it over the top of their words while they were speaking those words. They may not even know they're doing it, but those words matter to you right now. I've had those people in my life. And they don't always know when they're doing it. So I think if we're on the lookout for this, God still uses this gift to speak words of wisdom. Are all teachers? Well, no, certainly not are all teachers. And thankfully, not everyone is a teacher. That would be exhausting. But there are those who God has called and given this task. Then miracles. Well, we might kind of wish there was a little more of that. But it is miraculous in many ways whenever a community can gather in peace. Whenever, whenever we're called out and we're transformed from, from what we once were to what we've become. These really are the greater miracles. They may not be the ones, the, the fantastic moments of magic that we somehow think we crave. But, but far greater that God transforms the heart. Yet even as I say that. Let's not abandon the possibilities. If God pours out these gifts as he chooses, if he chose in our day to do these things, let's not claim it couldn't happen. Gifts of healing? I would love if God were to raise up someone from this community in that way. Helping? Certainly we can do that. Administrating? I always need people with that gift around me. Various kinds of tongues. Well, that one would shake us up a little bit, probably. Maybe we're not ready. Verse 29, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Just the saying of that is awesome, isn't it? Because we would assume an apostle would do all of them. But apparently not. Apparently, you could be an apostle and not have these other things. And apparently, you could be a seeming nobody and have gifts of prophecy or healing or other things. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Well, one of our highest gifts, of course, is, is our expression of worship through music. And in that context, I invite the band to come back up here and bring your gifts with you. Effective ministry for a community means, number one, recognition of variety. Recognize that there are a variety of gifts. There's not just one. Oh, I can't play guitar. Therefore, I can't minister. No, not true. There are a variety of gifts. Number two, Effective ministry means participation with what you've been given. Not faking something else, actually using what you have. That's effective. Faking something else, not effective. Using what you've been given, effective. And then, a spirit of cooperation with each other, because people have different gifts, and with God, because it's his mission, right? We are called into his mission. 
So we got to be cooperative in this. Cooperate with each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Cooperate with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. All of this stuff, it's all the same thing. So we got to be determined to do our part in God's mission. Leading, serving, helping, giving, teaching, praying, listening. Far too few of us have that gift. Encouraging. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are the body of Christ. And Jesus is the way and the maker of the way in which we must go. And he is the giver of the gifts and the resources that we need. And he's the one that already won the victory. Therefore, we can't lose. It doesn't matter what our measurement of, of success would have been or could have been or should have been or whatever. It doesn't matter. If we all just do what God gifted us to do, we win. Even if one day they came and shut us down and, and ran us out, we still win. Because we took what God gave us and used it for his kingdom. That's how we win. If we will trust Jesus and trust that he has made us and remade us and made this place for us to live and to love and to serve right now in this day, not in 1879, in 2023, then we can overcome all the challenges of our day. And we will be his people in this place at this time. Now there's a way we have to do this. And that's the next chapter in Corinthians. And that's what we're gonna talk about next time. But for now, today's determination 